Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And joining me for today's podcast is Luke Boggs. Luke, how are you doing? Oh, doing as good as you can in the last day of 2020. Happy to be saying goodbye to that year and hello to 2021. I hope it will be better. Yes, hello 2021. We are coming to you on uh, New Year's Eve. You'll be hearing us in the new year. Also joining us on today's podcast is Nabila Islam. Nabila, how are you? I'm doing great. I just voted with my mom and dad. I'm feeling good about these runoff elections and uh, happy new year to everyone listening. And making her long-awaited return to the podcast is Megan Payne. Megan, how are you? Welcome back. Hey, thanks. I am so happy to be back. Um, some some fun advice from me. Um, don't get threatened by your neighbors, although that's not something you can really control. And then in response to that, um, don't move during a pandemic or during an election or to a house that's 90 years old during a pandemic and during an election and um, anyway, that's what I've been up to for the past months, um, dealing with crazy neighbors, moving, um, of course, still campaigning and doing those sorts of things. Um, but I am so happy to have everything kind of settled now, and hopefully I'll be able to be back more regularly. Well, you have made it back for the grand finale of 2020. We are finally going to end the 2020 election cycle. We are just a couple of days away from the U.S. Senate runoffs that will con- that will determine control of the chamber in Washington. And coming into this runoff, history suggested that this would be an uphill battle for Democrats. They traditionally struggle to turn out voters in runoffs. Their party just won control of the White House, so who knows how motivated their voters would be. And while Biden did carry Georgia, Republicans won more votes than Democrats did statewide in both of those Senate contests on November 3rd. But the polling, the early voting numbers, the TV ads, everything we're seeing on the ground suggests that this is a toss-up headed into January 5th. And so for most of today's show, we're going to preview this Senate runoff for you, and then we're going to wrap it up with a little bit of reflections on 2020 and predictions going into 2021. Uh, But first, let's start with just your general sense of of where this race is at and and your takeaways from what you've observed in this runoff that has been going on since November 3rd. Megan, let's start with you. What has really caught your eye about this race? And and what are you thinking about here as we head towards the last days? So I think the thing that is most remarkable about this race is just the level of interest. I said something similar back in the days of the Ossoff election, you know, immediately on the heels of the Trump 2016 win. Um, and just, God, the outpouring of support, uh, the number of Facebook groups that spun up overnight to support these runoffs, um, the number of handwritten postcards and letters I've gotten, uh, the sheer number of you know, things going through the mail to support these runoffs. Uh, I mean, like, if this didn't save USPS, then, um, you know, I don't know what will, other than, you know, maybe entirely new management and and a total rehaul, or overhaul, rather. Um, but I think that's been the thing. I've got so many people reaching out, asking me questions, asking me how they can support. Um, and it's been very overwhelming at times, but also extremely encouraging and uplifting to see those eyes turn to Georgia, especially after, you know, we flipped blue for the presidential. Nabila, what about you? What are you uh, thinking about here as we get closer to election day? Well, I'm seeing tremendous energy coming from the Democrats um, all over, you know, statewide uh, and just from, you know, folks volunteering and pouring in money uh, into this election. Um, even with when it comes to voter turnout, um, you know, our folks are turning out. And I think it was, as of yesterday, um, about 52% of the total vote were Democrats uh, with a uh, Democratic score above 50%, uh, which means that they're, you know, decent, strong Democratic uh, voters. And uh, about 40% of the uh, electorate is... Uh, people of color. And at this point in the general election, it was 38%. So um, I think we've been crushing it during early voting. And, you know, I think it's really, um, as long as we turn out on election day, I think we're gonna be good. I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna win this election, guys. And, um, you know, you got Chicken Purdue and Kelly Klansman out here um, running their own campaigns. And um, I think that they've been, uh, Democrats have, Finally, uh, I feel like have 
been really strong on messaging and defined their opponents. And so, um, yeah, I feel like we're going to have high Democratic turnout and some suppressed Republican turnout because of uh, a lot of Republicans being disappointed that Georgia did not go their way. Luke, that really, I think, was the big question for Democrats coming into this runoff. You know, Joe Biden just won the White House. Who knows how motivated Democratic voters would be and and how much of Democratic energy in the last few years has been wrapped up in defeating Trump versus, you know, securing power for Democrats in Washington, which means uh, securing the Senate for Democrats during these two runoff elections. What do you think is motivating Democratic turnout? And and are you surprised to see Democrats so motivated at this point? So I... I want to take your question very specifically and then expand it a little bit. So what I think is motivating Democrats is the same thing that's motivated Democrats since the beginning of time, which is getting Democrats in power and getting Democrats elected to office so that the Democratic agenda can be done. But, you know, the election is not just between Democrats and, you know, everyone else. It's like there's all these other groups that I think are really important to think about. And so um, I, I think turnout for Ossoff and Warnock go beyond just, you know, your hardcore Democrats. And I think there's really probably two groups of people beyond just the party loyalists who I think are getting really, really motivated in this race. And if they end up winning will be, you know, their turnout will be the reason they've won. The first is the the people I've really harped on on every episode of this show is like the people who are in the suburbs of Atlanta, they probably vote for Romney, they didn't like Trump, and they really, really don't like Trump now, and they voted against him, voted for Joe Biden, and just everything that Kelly Loeffler and Purdue have done, and I I agree with Nabila that the Democratic candidates have done better than I've ever seen them do before in defining their opponents. Everything they've done would give those voters absolutely nothing to vote for Purdue or Loeffler for. And so going aggressively against the the mood of the independent voter in Georgia, I think is another thing that's really hurting them. And then finally, I think it's just the the people who have been, you know, motivated since 2016 but aren't really loyal to party. Again, Purdue and Loeffler are not giving those folks anything any reason to stay home, right? Because, like, those would be the people I would be the most worried about are the people who just, like, saw Trump as an existential threat to whatever their issue is, and then we're not going to be coming out for any other candidate, no matter how closely they spoke to what they cared about. And Purdue and Loeffler have basically just become cheerleaders for Trump and his, you know, narcissisms and his anxieties and all the things that he cares about. And so, like, they they couldn't ignore Loeffler and Purdue because if you truly wanted to get rid of Trump, you have to get rid of them. And that is, I mean, that's the decision their campaign's made. I think it's a really bad one. And that's why the turnout's so high. Maybe the most emblematic thing that I've seen of this sharp messaging from Democrats was actually this two minutes of free advertising that John Ossoff uh, secured for himself live on Fox News the other day. And so I want to play this clip for us to listen to. It is a little long, but, I, you know, it gives... John Ossoff, a lot of runway to just deliver his campaign message in a really straightforward way um, and get in a little shot at Kelly Leffler here at the end. Uh, Let's listen to this clip. Right now we have a crisis of corruption in American politics. And since we're live on Fox, let me take this opportunity to address directly the Fox audience. We have two United States senators in Georgia who have blatantly used their offices to enrich themselves. This is beyond partisanship. And the reason to your question that I talk so much about health and jobs and justice for all the people is that we can unite behind that program. We've lost nine rural hospitals in Georgia in 10 years. We can reopen them. We can invest in infrastructure to build jobs, revitalize our communities, create opportunity, raise the minimum wage so that people doing an honest week's work can not just survive, but can thrive. And yes, pass landmark civil rights and voting rights legislation to secure equal justice for all. And I humbly and respectfully request the support of everyone who is tuned in on Fox right now 
And I'd love for you to log on to electjohn, electjon.com. That's electjon.com. Make a contribution to our efforts here in Georgia. And one more quick one while we've got you. Any, any concern that the allegations of wrongdoing against Reverend Warnock could possibly be a drag on the Democratic ticket next week? None whatsoever. Reverend Warnock addressed this issue a year ago. And here's the bottom line. Kelly Leffler has been campaigning with a Klansman. Kelly Leffler has been campaigning with a Klansman. And so she is stooping to these vicious personal attacks to distract from the fact that she's been campaigning with a former member of the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, we deserve better than that here in Georgia. And I want to encourage everybody to make a plan to vote on Tuesday. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Ossoff. So a sharp message there from John Ossoff on Fox News. Um, Just to add a little context to this claim from Ossoff that Leffler campaigned with a Klansman, this stems from a photo that Leffler took with Chester Doles, who is a well-known white supremacist who has a longtime affiliation with the KKK in Maryland. The Leffler campaign says that Leffler did not know who Doles was when she took this photo with him, and that if her campaign had known that Doles was attending a campaign event that Leffler was at, that her campaign would have kicked him out immediately and that they disavowed what he stood for. In any event, though, members of the KKK are not showing up to snap selfies with Raphael Warnock or John Ossoff. Megan, what did you think of that message that John Ossoff delivered on Fox News? Well, I'm proud of him for really grabbing the bull by the horns and taking the opportunity to say what he meant. Um, I find that over the years of him campaigning, he's gotten really a lot better at um, you know, taking his opportunities where they come and also making sure to say uh, those hard hitting things. So I appreciated that he took the time to refute some issues to go ahead and ask for the vote. That's huge. I feel like candidates are doing a really poor job of actually asking for the vote these days. And then of course, you know, being able to refute some of the the Warnock related issues. So I think that was a great spot for him. Surprising that it came on Fox News and he wasn't set up for it really. But um, I liked it. I would uh, I would add that it's sort of reminiscent of the debate he had with Purdue when he called him a crook. So uh, I'd love seeing that side of him where he's been more direct uh, in calling out uh, these corrupt uh, uh, Republican candidates, both um, Loeffler and Purdue. And I think uh, his new way or more developed way, I guess, of of, of campaigning has. Uh, scared Purdue away from being around him, uh, hence why he refuses to debate him after uh, that debate that they had. 100%. Well, I've been saying for years um, on this podcast, um, I speak a lot of French, and the word perdu in French means lost. And um, I mean, perdu, uh, Purdue is a lost senator. I, we don't see much of him. And now even more so, like you said, um, he's just not coming around. Chicken Purdue. Mm-hmm. Luke, you and I have talked before about how much of a better campaigner John Ossoff has become. Do you think that he's really hitting his stride here? And and I think importantly, I mean, you know, I I think that he looks impressive, but this runout this runoff seems to be a, a generate turnout game. Um, do you think that he is achieving that goal as we come down the stretch? I, I think he is. Um, you know, just a quick note I want to say, because I know I've said it a lot, but I feel like this is national campaign coverage malpractice to not point out the fact of like how much better John Ossoff is compared to a candidate that he was in 2017, because I've been somewhat frustrated by all the articles that I've read that have said like, oh, all the Georgia candidates are weak. And, you know, maybe by some traditional standards, that's true. Uh, Purdue is literally the only one of them who's won a campaign before, and he's only won two if you count his primary campaign and then his general election campaign. And, you know, Warnock has never run for office before, and Ossoff has run one other time and lost. Uh, but he he ran a very competitive primary campaign against really qualified good candidates, and he beat all of them, um, and he has gotten a lot better. And so I think even if he loses, I, I hope he doesn't go away um, because he's he's done a lot, I think, for campaigns in Georgia. Because the, the thing that I have really appreciated about Ossoff's campaign both the forward-facing stuff you see, like him on TV, is actually reflective of how good 
the uh, campaign behind the scenes is. And, and now, every no campaign is perfect. Uh, Luke Boggs is the chief cheerleader of the DPG is, makes bad decisions team sometimes. Uh, but <laughs> like for for Ossoff, like I have been very impressed. Where you know I'm working with Clark County here on the ground. Like our people talk to his people, and this is the first time I can think of where a statewide campaign actually listened to the people on the ground. Because uh, you know in Athens, like we were going to have an event. And he wanted to have an event in the same day. And instead of doing what we have, would have done four years ago or even two years ago, where we just have our parallel events and, you know, burn a lot of time that should have been gone to canvassing. He's like, oh, cool. I'll just come to yours. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, OK, that's great. And like now, instead of, you know, from uh, this key time that he wanted to come where we wanted to have people canvassing, now he's coming to our event and those people are going to go canvass. And so I think the turnout we're seeing is I, I think there's a lot of factors, but the ones that I would want to attribute directly to the Democratic candidates we have is I, I think this pairing ended up working out very, very well uh, because Warnock has been kind of a moral values cheerleader in, you know, having the background as a pastor and just talking about like why we're doing this, right? Like he, he's really good on the why and like, you know, his background really highlights the... I'm like you, I care about the things you care about, and I've been through some of the things you care about. He's really, really good at that. The place where he is not as good is actually talking about the issues and the policy, which is coincidentally where John Ossoff is really, really good. And uh, that that's where I think has really made this a great tag team for them because, you know, as I'm being bombarded by ads, both on my computer and my TV, like what I see between them is like this really good pairing where, you know, I'll see a Warnock ad that's talking about his family and him growing up, you know, and, and, you know, him learning about what matters. And then it'll follow up with a ad that Ossoff is saying some of the same things, hitting on some of the same value stuff, but then he connects it to the policy that people care about. And I mean, I've just been tremendously impressed with both of them. Uh, but the the thing I'm the most impressed with with Ossoff is just the growth there. And I would I wish more national media would cover that, even if he loses. Like I think just there's things for Georgians and other campaigns in the South to learn from Ossoff's growth. And I, I will admit I underestimate him and I agree with what you're saying that he's really hit his peak and stride, I think. Honestly, I thought in like the last week before the general election to now he's just been really good and really, really hitting it on all, all notes, uh, for sure. Now, Purdue and Leffler, their strategy was never to win a beauty contest. It was going to be a mudslinging fight for them all the way to the end. And so another trend that I've noticed in the final days of this election is you have basically all of the dirt from all sides being aired. Um, but the sharpest negative stories that have come out in the last couple of weeks or so seem to be focused on Reverend Warnock. Leffler keeps coming back to video uh, from an incident where uh, police were called to a domestic dispute between Warnock and his then wife in, in the middle of their divorce. Warnock was not charged in relation to this incident. And in the video that uh, Leffler has been sharing, um, you can see that the police ultimately think that Warnock didn't do the thing that he was accused of doing. Leffler is is airing part of the body camera footage from that incident in campaign ads. Tucker Carlson has had segments about it on his show. Leffler is also digging up a story, making loose connections between Roy Moore, the disgraced former Alabama Senate candidate, um, and Reverend Warnock over an investigation into child abuse at a church camp in Maryland from years ago. Um, important factual thing to note about that story. Nothing that I've seen suggests that Warnock was ever a target of that investigation. Um, there is some dispute over his role in what he says was trying to provide uh, either parental counsel or legal counsel to children when they were getting questioned in relation to this investigation. Both of these stories really haven't received a lot of investigative coverage from the press, I think you can sort of surmise that there isn't really much there there on these stories. And yet, we're in the closing days of a campaign and, and Leffler and outside conservative groups can really kind of say what they want and make the insinuations they want. And uh, within a conservative media bubble, it's likely that people will see these ads and see these segments on, on Tucker Carlson's show and, and come away with fairly negative perceptions of Warnock. 
because of this. Do y'all have any concerns about the negative, uh, the negative ads, the negative stories that have been raised in the closing days of this campaign, either as a way to sort of undermine turnout in favor of Warnock or, or to juice turnout for conservatives who, who see these ads? I do. I I definitely will say that I've had some concerns from the beginning. I have the opportunity to regularly interface with some um, Republicans whom I trust and whom I'm able to have a really good uh, rapport and discourse with. And um, one of the things that they have voiced to me and that I've kind of wondered about is the fear of particularly Warnock um, and, and how you know, radical, you know, we've, we've heard that term thrown around so much radical liberal, how radical he is. And, um, I really do think that that is going to boost turnout for Republicans who are really afraid that he might have a shot at winning. Um, I don't know how much it'll do to undermine his voter base because I think his voter base does understand him. But I think that those who, especially the Republicans who are coming at this from a fear place, a fear-based perspective, are definitely going to say, okay, well, it's my job to make sure that I show up to this, um, to make sure that this, this radical man doesn't get the vote. Um, you know, the fact that he has been called a Marxist all along and the fact that he has basically been quoted saying things that are kind of, th- that are taken to be anti-government, um, as well as, you know, the latest everything that, that has come up that you just went over, Kyle. There, there is some definite fear of this candidate and what he might bring. I would say that, uh, you know, the, the negative campaigning, especially coming from Loeffler's camp, uh, is very unfortunate that they would stoop so low. I mean, to include family issues into a campaign, uh, you know, I just think it's it's not unexpected because the GOP has turned into the party of Trump and anything goes, uh, but it consistently goes to new lows. I think it's very tasteless. And, uh, you know, to go back to what Ossoff, um, you know, said in his Fox News interview, and in, in reality, Kelly Loeffler has been campaigning with the Klansmen, and she's tr- just trying to deflect from mm-hmm. that right now. Just to be clear, I'm not saying that I am in any way supportive of what has gone on with Loeffler and her campaign. I'm just saying that from from what I am hearing from a Republican I trust, um, this is something that that is concerning. But absolutely, it's 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 unacceptable how nasty this campaign has been. And the reason why it is this nasty is because it's really like all they have left. Um, I mean, this is something Kyle and I have discussed a lot on the show is just the fact that they aren't really campaigning on issues. They are campaigning on, you know, fear. And a lot of this, I think, also goes back to their fundamental assumption that we are still in the early 2000s and we are no longer, you know, uh, progressing in time and that things stay the same in Georgia. And I think they all came into this race, both Purdue and Loeffler, with the thought that they had already won. By getting to the runoff, they won. And then it became very clear to them that that was not the case and they didn't have a plan for, for the runoff. And so I think part of the reason why it's gone so nasty is – Looking into the polling after the general election, Warnock had far higher favorables than Leffler did, and her strategy has been to just throw everything negative she can possibly think of at the wall. Now we hit on these two issues, but the you know the one that I've been actually seeing more than the allegations that you brought up, Kyle, are just his completely out of context sermons where they'll clip three or four words. I mean, they're not even doing entire sentences. And it's even obvious that they're not doing entire sentences. Like, they'll literally just take a phrase, and it's a phrase that's offensive uh, by itself, but, you know, the words before literally could have been, you should not say offensive phrase. Um, And it's just like, they just, you know, it's just so, so crazy to me that this is all they have. And it really, really does seem like it is all they have, especially in the context of the fact that the only policy I've heard either of them discuss is them jumping on Trump's bandwagon for the stimulus uh, payments of $2,000, which they had an ample opportunity to support for a whole year uh, where when Democrats were calling for more stimulus payments and they, they chose not to do that and Purdue actively opposed the first stimulus payment. But, uh, you know, they, they now apparently are strong supporters of that policy, uh, which is, you know, I- interesting to say the least. 
Well, and that to me is emblematic of just how thin their view of positive campaigning is at all. Because they, if you if you didn't see this news this week, I thought this was a an interesting episode. They did eventually both release statements and uh, do media hits on Fox News to say that they supported President Trump's call for two thousand dollars stimulus payments. Uh, these are the payments that he wanted to see increase and that he threatened to veto the COVID-19 relief bill over. Ultimately, Trump caved on those because he didn't seem all that invested in fighting for it. And the people who have true leverage in this situation actually would be Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. And the opposition to those stimulus payments was coming almost entirely from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in Washington, and the two people who could have gone to Mitch and said, we really need this, even for a political reason, would have been Leffler and Purdue. And that uh, those the increased stimulus payments seemed to die an unceremonious death in Washington earlier this week um, after Democrats put up a little bit of a fight. But it became evident very quickly that the real message that Leffler and Purdue were sending by taking this position on the stimulus payments was they just wanted to be able to get in the media and say, we stand with Trump because they're concerned about a uh, low early vote turnout in conservative parts of the state. And so the, the actual policy outcome, the securing extra relief money for people who are struggling right now, that was never really the point. It was to send some signal, any kind of signal that they were standing with the president and their politics seem entirely wrapped up in that right now. Yeah. And just to, to real quick, finish out that thought, their, their campaigns are both aimed at low information voters more than anyone else, I think. And be, because I think the red meat are is already out there for the Republican base, the people who are diehard Republicans. It's already there. The thing that they are trying to do, and I think Warnock has an ad that fights against this pretty well is like they're just hoping that you're not paying attention that much and that like as you are like flipping through the channels you'll see an advertisement of warnock saying something scary and just assume he's scary and not want to vote for him and that seems to be the same thing they're trying to do with the saying they support the two thousand dollar stimulus uh vote is because like if they wanted that vote to happen there's a lot more they could do as senators to push it and make Mitch McConnell's life miserable until he gave them that vote. And they're not doing those things. They just tweak it. And tweets are not policy. And w- with that, I, I will I will give it over to Reverend Raphael Warnock to uh, make his case for himself. Here's a choice, Georgia. Kelly Leffler spent tens of millions of dollars trying to scare you. She's attacked my church, attacked my faith. She's even attacked my family. She's trying to make you afraid of me because she's afraid of you. Afraid that you understand how she's used her position in the Senate to enrich herself and others like her. Afraid that you'll realize we can do better. I'm Raphael Warnock and if you elect me to the Senate, I'll wake up every day guided by the values of hard work and compassion instilled in me by my parents and inspired by the words of Dr. King, who said that life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? Even in these crazy times, I still think it's possible to work together to improve the lives of Georgians, all Georgians. That's exactly what I'll do in Washington. I approve this message, and I humbly ask for your vote. See, that is a great ad. Um, I really feel, I like that he asks for the vote. I like that he takes the time to kind of say what he is going to do, what his values are, and to call out that she's fear-mongering. Like, that... That's a great kind of I – kn- I know there are other ads running right now, but if there were ever going to be kind of a a final let me take a bow on my campaign strategy, that that ad would be it. Well, <laughs> I think this might be a good time to do Ossoff's ad because uh, I feel like he he does that even – even more than than Warnock does, but I I, I, agree, I agree with you, Megan. I, I thought it was a really strong ad, but um, I feel like Ossoff does a similar thing with his in 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 the same way as I was mentioning earlier. How Warnock is is doing that moral leadership kind of campaign. I feel like the Ossoff final ad is very much uh, the policy driven. You know what the what the Ute want. We the people, we demand health care no matter our wealth. We the people demand justice, no matter the color of our skin. 
We the people demand immediate financial relief when so many can't afford rent, gas, or childcare. But for these demands to be met, we the people have to vote. So from Bankhead to Buckhead, from the coast to Columbus, and from the mountains to the Florida line, make a plan to vote. I'm John Ossoff, and I approve this message. Nabila, are these closing messages, are they are they resonating with you? And you're somebody who's been, um, I think, interested in bold progressive policies and, and candidates being bold. Do you think that this resonates with voters who are looking for that? So I think the Reverend has done a good job, um, you know, since he's been messaging to people in the general election uh, that, you know, he's the people's candidate. He's relatable. Um, he grew up just like you and me, uh, and you can trust him. Um, and I feel like he, that, that ad he had, uh, was, was really great. It just, uh, reiterated who he was as a person and what kind of leadership we should expect from him. Um, and as, as for Ossoff, I actually don't think of him as the policy guy. Um, I, uh, I think that, I think, Honestly, I think uh, that Reverend has done a stronger job at defining himself. Um, and I feel that, but I think Ossoff's ads have been good. Um, and he does a really good job of incorporating uh, diverse people in them and, uh, you know, showing that we need representation that, you know, understands every Georgian um, of, of every race. So. Um, yeah, I think they're both really good ads, and I, I partic- particularly like uh, the Reverends a lot as well. So, N- Nabila, I, I was going to say, I'd, l- I'd love to follow up on why you don't see Ossoff as more of the policy guy. And so, like, the reason I do, it's not that ad specifically. It's just, like, every time I open up Instagram or Twitter or any, you know, any of the apps I ruin my life by looking at, um, like, I will inevitably see a... John Ossoff, like, policy-based tweet of just, like, we need $2,000 checks, or, you know, we need a stronger voter rights act, or, you know, blank, blank, blank should happen. And so, to me, and maybe it's just because, like, I am probably their target audience of a, you know, like, white, young, college, you know, age person, um, you know, maybe that's that's why I keep seeing it, and, why, and I'm not in Atlanta, so maybe, you know, maybe I'm just, like, getting targeted really well by them, but to me, like, he's he's been very specific on some of the key policies he's he, want, he wants to have happen, so, like, if that's not what you're seeing and, like, your impression of him, I'm very curious, like, what your impression of him is. Oh, okay. Well, I, so I don't follow him on social media at all. So maybe that's why talk about his policy points. Um, I just see his TV ads and, uh, that, I mean, that's where I've been, you know, learning the most about him is through television actually. Um, and you know, I, 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 as a progressive, uh, a very, you know, I consider myself a leftist, uh, would have loved for him to be a little bit stronger, you know, during his campaign on some of these issues. I know that now he's talking about a $15 minimum wage, which I think is great. He might have mentioned it before in his campaign, but I don't really particularly remember it. Um, but yeah, because uh, uh, you are right that a lot of the things I'm picking up on and taking in were from his social media channels and not his ads because I do I agree with you he does not hit those issues nearly as often or as like specifically in his TV ads but he has been pretty specific on his social platforms got it well I'll have to check them out then well that's interesting though because like uh, I guess would you say you think he would have been more effective had he like been more specific in his TV ads because it kind of sounds like that's what you are saying I would say that, yeah, I think it would be nice to to hear um, more specific policy points in his TV ads, but I, I I haven't gotten that from his ads. But that's just it's me personally. So I mean, like they they're they're producing these ads based on you know whatever you know polling that they've paid for, and so um, I'm I happen to be just a. Uh, very specific person when it comes to policy, but I'm sure these ads are going over really well with uh, the larger Democratic electorate. And I, I can say, at least for uh, 
Raphael Warnock, uh, my, you know, I, I've, I've talked to some people, including my mom, who's my usual, like <laughs> Sarah Wright Voger. What, what do they think? <laughs> Sorry, Tammy. It's always you. Um, but like, you know, my favorite, my favorite one, uh, from the holidays, uh, was her saying, I really liked Raphael Warnock until they ran all those negative ads against him. <laughs> I'm just like, no, <laughs> it's like, how do we, how do we win? <laughs> um because it's just like yeah it's just like it's so hard to uh to fight that machine so as has been discussed uh earlier um purdue has been very absent um i actually have not seen him pictured at an event in quite a while um and hadn't really heard of him being anywhere and i i usually pick up on these things because i i mean to kelly's credit she has been around a lot and has been to a lot of different places, uh, just like Warnock and Ossoff have been, uh, uh, you know, obviously not wearing masks and being indoors, uh, whereas Ossoff and Warnock are usually outside and usually wearing masks until they actually start giving their speeches. Um, Purdue, not so much. And I, I've been very surprised by this strategy. Uh, I know that as we're recording today, it has been his campaign announced that he has been exposed to COVID, but as of this moment, has tested negative. But we will have to keep watching because, uh, as you know, hopefully y'all know now, uh, uh, you can test negative and then end up testing positive after an exposure. So uh, you know, one one thing I have found really interesting is just this feeling that Ossoff has used very effectively against Purdue of that, like he just owns the seat and he can't be taken out of it. And like, there's no need for him to campaign. And I kind of just like had that as a feeling, but I, I think a lot of his absence can be explained by uh, something he had said at a, uh, uh, Loeffler event after um, you know after the general election he said quote look I already won this election guys I love you but I'd rather be here talking about Kelly not me I won this election by two points do y'all realize that's a bigger win than a lot of the people who have already been in the United States Senate um, so it's just like <laughs> I don't know what he thinks he's doing but like that's not the law of Georgia and in Georgia he has to run a runoff whether he likes it or not and really truly I, I am bombarded by ads because uh, the TV is usually on in my house. And um, the one I just keep seeing over and over and over and over is just really bad trying, you know, word salad of scaring people and accusing John Ossoff of something in a way that is just so deliberately false. It's surprising he hasn't been called out on it more. Um, let, let's play that guy and then we can talk about it a little bit more. I'm David Perdue and I approve this message. John Ossoff's China scandal keeps getting worse. We know Ossoff was paid by the communist Chinese government through a media company. He tried hiding it, got caught, then lied. Now Ossoff could face federal investigation. Why did China really pay Ossoff? What's he hiding? So many questions, so few answers. John Ossoff won't hold China accountable. He works for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wait, I've never seen that ad like, <laughs> Like it's because it, like the thing that's so fascinating to me too with this and because like this is something we've talked about as well, but like it's just becoming truer and truer the longer this election goes on, you know, so thank God it's about to be over. But like, especially for like Megan, because I know you don't watch as much TV as we do, <laughs> you you lucky person, like I had to look up what this story was even about. Like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, and, and so it's just like, so much of this is like the Fox News conspiracy machine that I, I didn't even know what they meant. And, it, you know, again, it seems like it's just aimed at people who are barely paying attention and just hope like, oh, China's bag and John Ossoff is bag. And, and that seems to be all, all it is. But I, I'd love y'all's reaction to this one before I continue to monologue. I'm in a really sad place where I knew exactly what they were talking about. <laughs> oh, poor Kyle. <laughs> Look, I think when you have a candidate, well, like I think John Ossoff and, her, and me are around the same age. So like when we've never, you know, been elected to office, uh, you don't have like a record to beat them up on, or like you know, <laughs> uh, or just you know anything in general because uh, we're he's a younger guy, and so they're just trying to find uh, whatever nonsense that they can stick to him. And I think these ties to Chinese government communism <laughs> is really just laughable. Uh, I thought the I think the ad is just it just goes to show like I think you know the campaign doesn't have anything really on him and uh, and I and I also think that these negative ads indicate that there's not there's it's hard to create positive messaging around David Perdue right now, which is why 
uh, he's been running scared. You know, I wasn't surprised that he was quarantined. He has to quarantine because he was exposed to COVID because I thought he was just, you know, quarantining the rest of this campaign because we haven't seen him anywhere. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, poor ad. I don't think it's going to do anything. Uh, maybe just rile up some of Republican voters, but I don't think it's going to, like, persuade anyone to change their vote. Yeah, my favorite part of that ad is that we all know John Ossoff was paid by China. It's like, I didn't know that. I don't think that happened. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like I, it's just like you guys need to do a little bit more background before you just assume that like we know that and so but that's probably just me i'm the only person that you know doesn't like that and it's just like the scandal keeps getting worse because it's so weird because it's like i, I guess uh, what, really what i'm hanging out why this ad's so weird to me besides like it just being like weird and bad attacks it's the fact that like acts like you're in on something with them it's like because like the first line of it just being like his china scandal keeps getting worse and like i don't know what his china scandal is and so like i I don't know i mean you already kind of explained why that works though i'm not the target for this correct you're not the target for this ad and you already what i was just saying it's a misinformation campaign when you don't have information on your opponent you just make it up (laughs) right and it totally works especially when you just like setting it up like that where oh you totally already know this and just like not even setting it up as like new information or setting it up to be questioned it's just like oh yeah you must have missed this it's in the rearview mirror and so people hear it and just assume oh shit i guess i i missed that story um yeah okay i totally buy it you know setting it up like that just makes it that much more believable yeah, I, I think the moral of this is that I'm a bad target for right wing propaganda and it won't work <laughs> on me. Um, but the um, Kyle, I would love your thoughts on this ad. And then also, like, let's let's do the good responsible thing. If you know what they're actually like, trying the argument they're trying to make and what they're talking about, I'm assuming like the Chinese Chinese Communist Party like bought a documentary he made or something. Yes. And that's so as we're talking about this, I'm trying to find the uh, exact price that they paid for this documentary because it was uh, it's pretty small right small number yes all right so i i have this now and and i can i can tell you why this makes me like doubly infuriated so as i understand it the core of this john ossoff being paid by the communist government of china is that uh hong kong uh, media enterprise of which I believe the Chinese government is like an 18% shareholder paid in US dollars $1,010.87 for one of John Ossoff's uh, film company's documentary films. So that is like the substantive thing that they're sort of building this attack off of. That compares to Purdue actively bragging in advance of his 2014 Senate campaign that he made a career out of outsourcing jobs from the U.S. to China and doing business with large Chinese factories and that this was like the core of his corporate experience that proved he was a great job creator and business leader and that's exactly why he should be in the United States Senate. This was the core of the 2014 campaign that has largely been wiped away from his messaging during this cycle it was like what he built his entire career around and he's flipped it around to one $1,000 transaction targeted at John Ossoff. It's just like, it's so disproportionate and just like irrelevant to any like real policy stakes. The, the one other piece of it that I find infuriating is that there was apparently some Chinese intelligence operation that was aimed at uh, American politicians and I don't know the full details of this story, but it, I've you know seen somewhere that Eric Swalwell, former presidential candidate and uh, California congressman, was I think in some ways duped in a relationship with someone who he did not know was a spy from China. I don't know. It all seems really, uh, you know, not very impactful, anyways. But they've just sort of drawn this connection between this one transaction for Ossoff's film company and this. Uh, spy operation that was targeted at Eric Swalwell, mostly based on the fact that both of them are relatively young. And it's just like, it's really grasping for straws at this point. So to me, it all falls very flat. Whereas the, the attacks on Warnock at least do sort of in different directions. If you were to really sort of like pull a value statement out of them, 
in some ways they would actually be offensive to progressive people, um, like the alleged conduct against Warnock against his ex-wife. Um, all of the things stemming from his sermons would obviously be offensive and, and scary to religious conservatives. This just seems like the stuff with Ossoff in China just seems pulled out of thin air. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a lot more concretely tied to Warnock than Ossoff. In the spirit of closing messages here, let's get one more closing message ad. This is an ad uh, put out by the Leffler campaign. It is a call to action for conservatives. Inspirational. That's what. That's the word I would use to describe it, Kyle. Inspirational. We've got a job to do here, Georgia. America is counting on us. Only you can stop the radical left from total control. If you vote, we will win. If you don't, we will lose America. This Tuesday, everything is on the line. We are going to stop socialism in its tracks. Together, we are going to save America. God bless you. God bless America. I'm Kelly Leffler. I approve this message. We're saving America on Tuesday, y'all. Only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> Did anyone else just like hear that? Only you and like just complete it with the rest of that. Only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> yeah, I think she's like, she just sounds like a robot. I I was joking around with some friends earlier and I said her campaign only allows her to say five words and that's it. I I, I think, I mean, I think her ads resonate with Republicans you know, I, I so the reason I say this is because I thought Doug Collins during the uh, uh, primary uh, had way better ads, and she had these weird uh, tilt. Was it Tilla the Hun? Tilla the Hun? Tilla, thank you. Uh, ads, and I was just like, all right, these are freaking weird. But I think it stuck, and people re- remembered her. Or it might have been because she spent her personal wealth, and so that's hard to beat as well. But. Um, so I don't really know if her ads do work or not, but um, I'll tell you money does and saturation does um, to an extent. But um, I really hope we beat her, guys. I can't I can't see her for like for another a year. Um, so hoping to hoping um, we're not. No, I, I think you're actually you hit on something really interesting because this is going to tie into what I see going forward. Um, I agree. I thought Collins ran a better, smarter you know, more focused camp. Well, not more focused, but a, a, a better, smarter campaign. Whereas Loeffler was very, very focused on like, a uh, a just like laser into the brains of conservative voters. I am the most conservative. I'm the most conservative. I'm the most conservative. And they just believed it. They bought it. And even though I think based on their records and based off of like how they operate in Washington, Collins was far more conservative, uh, than, Leffler is as a human being and like what he believes and like the goals he has as a politician. Um, she just spent a, a ton of money and was willing to say anything and everything to make it clear that wherever Collins is, I am two feet to the right of him. And I think that was very, very effective. Even if she did it haphazardly, she was very focused on that one single project. And it's probably why she's in trouble uh, now because, uh, she's no longer in a Republican primary. Well, for this group, it sounds like from our conversation, y'all feel pretty optimistic for Democrats. But if anyone wants to put a, a firm prediction on the line here as, as we wrap this up, do y'all really uh, think that Warnock and Ossoff are going to come out of Tuesday victorious or Tuesday or however long it takes to count the votes and challenge the votes and recount them again three times before somebody's declared a winner? What do y'all think? If Democrats continue their turnout... Uh, into election day the way that we've been turning out uh during early voting i i feel like we're gonna win i feel like we have a really good chance um i think nabila is right that it it definitely depends upon the turnout and the continued turnout but i'm also um enough of i'm i'm superstitious enough not to want to lay odds the the one prediction i will make uh is that this will not be a republican blowout like in 2008, when we had a runoff uh, for a second seat, uh, this will be very close no matter who wins. And I, I think it'll probably take a while. And I mean, the eternal question is just like how big of a lead do Democrats have right now? We think it's pretty big. 
if that's right, then that means a lot of Republicans have to show up on Tuesday. And, you know, we their enthusiasm has not been as great, I think, as it was for the general election. And I think the Democratic enthusiasm has potentially increased, but it's definitely about the same <laughs> as it was in the general election. And so, I mean, that that's a rough thing for them going into it. But I mean, the fundamentals for the Republicans in Georgia historically are strong. I just don't know if they're still there or not. Um, so I, I, I've learned to be a hopeless optimist in, in, in Georgia. So I definitely think we can win. I am not going to say we, we will, but uh, I, I, at the very least, it won't be a blowout. And I think that is an accomplishment in itself, considering how badly Democrats usually get beat up in runoffs. I, I will add that in a runoff, you, you know, the folks that come out to vote are your strong, you know, Republicans, strong Democrats. And according to a survey USA poll of those who identify as very conservative, so you're very strong conservative voters, 55% say they're not voting in the runoff elections because the voting process is rigged. I'm so, um, I don't, I'm skeptical of, poll, of polls, but I mean, that's pretty damning when your strongest Republicans, more than half of them are going to sit this one out. Um, and that's what, it goes to what I was saying earlier. Uh, you know, if, if we continue our turnout, the way we've been coming out, and Republicans have depressed turnout. Uh, I, I see, I see us winning and uh, flipping the Senate. I'm just going to put that into the universe, and we're going to hope it happens. <laughs> that to me, Nabila raises. You know, there's just been so much that's happened in this race. There's a bunch of things we didn't even get into in this conversation, like the fact that uh, both Biden and Harris are coming down uh, over the weekend to campaign for Ossoff and Warnock. You also have an election eve trip from President Trump. He's going to be visiting. I think he's coming to Dalton. He's coming somewhere in northwest Georgia on Monday evening. And we are uh, coming off this week of news where uh, Trump is still frustrated about the outcome of the presidential election in Georgia, and he's demanding that Governor Kemp resign. And so it is a true <laughs> wild card, I think, of what Trump will say on Monday night and the thing that's interesting about this split between Democrats, I think primarily due, the, due to the pandemic being a little more cautious and trying to find ways to vote early or vote absentee and Republican vote coming in on the election day is that Trump could have a meaningful impact on the psyche of Republican voters based on what he says on the night before election day. And we don't know what he's going to say. So like, it's never boring here. That's all I'll say. That's true. It's never boring. I'm still somewhat pessimistic, though. So let's close it out with this. As we wrap up our coverage for 2020, I wanted to end today with an opportunity for y'all to share reflections on the wild year we've had and any thoughts about how all of this spills over into 2021. This has been a year that's been marked by unprecedented loss because of COVID-19, lots of hardship for working people whose lives and livelihoods have been upended because of the pandemic, and a reckoning with racial and social justice in this country. But it's also a year that organizers and activists finally topped a really big mountain in Georgia by delivering this state for Biden. Um, at the same time, this triumph seems to have engendered even more backlash that's likely to put the right to vote in Republican crosshairs in 2021. Um, so I wanted to open the floor here uh, for anybody to kick us off on just your thoughts on the year that we've had in in our politics and in our society, and if and what what is on your mind as to how this sort of spills over into twenty twenty one. I mean, I could write a dissertation on that. Um, it's a big question. <laughs> it is a huge question. I guess the biggest thing that I want. I don't really know how to answer this question. So I'm just going to answer the question I want to answer, which is effectively um, what I want to see this coming year. And I think the thing that I really want to see is the end of politicizing viruses and pandemics like COVID-19. Um, I think that, you know, this year has been exceptionally hard because of that. I think that it has made everything that we've done politically even harder um, just because of all of the added precautions we have to take, all the extra things that we have to think about, that we have to talk about. And 
while I'm certainly not glad COVID-19 happened, like not even a little bit, um, I do think that this is going to be something that really helps to inform the healthcare vote and why we handle healthcare the way we do in this country. And I really hope that with that in mind, we can move away from this Trump administration of politicizing everything and making everything the other side's fault and kind of have a coming together to be able to approach uh, responding to COVID-19 and the healthcare crisis as a nation as opposed to as a two-party system. I want 2021 to be the year of solutions. You know, we've been trolled by Donald Trump uh, for four years now, and he's just made everything worse, um, including this pandemic and the over 330,000 people that have lost their lives. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to pressing the restart button on a new administration, and I'm hopeful that yeah, I don't see this activism organizing energy going anywhere. I think it's going to continue to become more and more emboldened. And I'm I'm really hoping that, you know, in 2021, we get to pass some meaningful progressive legislation that will have a consequential impact um, on our on our lives. And so because we definitely really need it. Um, and so I'm going into 2021 with a lot of hope and happy to leave 2020 behind us. Well, 2020 has uh, been a weird year for us all. Uh, I got married right before the shutdown, uh, secretly, so that was that was fun. Um, huh? I didn't know you were married. Yeah, I'm married. <laughs> See? It must have been a big secret. It was, a, it was a secret for a while, and then we announced it publicly. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we eloped uh, literally a day before the shutdown. So that was great. Um, and it's been and that's been great. And so it's like I've had one of the happiest things and one of the darkest hardest years for the country and the world. So, uh, that's been, that's been a little odd. Um, but the, the thing I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear what, what both of y'all said, because those have been concerns of mine on, and this runoff has really given me a lot of hope because, um, I was very dedicated to the political project of getting Joe Biden elected and getting rid of Donald Trump and, uh, was happy to see how many other people were really deeply in, involved in that. And the thing I was really worried about is that it would just all go away once Trump had, uh, been taken out of the picture. Um, I mean, I guess to some extent he isn't yet. Um, but the, the energy and pushing for Ossoff and Warnock has been really exciting for me. And the people's understanding of those issues has been really exciting because I am, hardened and terrified of the fact the fights to come because i know it only gets harder <laughs> either way because i know if we win that means the republicans will double triple quadruple down on voter suppression techniques and uh the absentee ballots have been a huge part of why democrats have been successful this year and I'm sure Republicans will reflexively try to get rid of them, despite the fact that they won many elections in years past on their strength in absentee balloting. Um, and that, that scares me that that is their reaction rather than questioning their techniques, questioning their campaigning, questioning their, their candidates, frankly. Uh, because I think if Purdue and Loeffler lose, it will be a pretty big combination of who they were as politicians and what they represent. And instead of thinking about those things and thinking about like, well, maybe we're not doing a good job representing people. Their first thing, their first reflex is how can we rig the game so we keep winning? And that's just not a healthy thing for democracy or Georgia. And I'm sad that that's where their heads are at because in years past, I, I've had nice things to say about, you know, Nathan Deal and Brad Raffensperger. And I, I'm sad that that is where they're going because I much prefer, prefer Georgia as a state where we work together and get stuff done. And so hopefully Nabila is uh, correct about what happens on the federal level and we, we get some good good federal legislation passed. But I, I also hope that Georgia doesn't just become a giant dumpster fire, uh, which I'm very worried that will uh, due to how they're reacting to the situation. So I guess that's what I'm not looking forward to, but I'm expecting. Yeah, I wish I could be more hopeful, but I'm in a very similar place to you, Luke. I've actually been really alarmed by this spectacle that we've had in House and Senate committees over the last few weeks where they have, quote unquote, witnesses come in and provide 
patently false and just completely divorced from reality testimony, somehow supposedly proving that the election was stolen from Trump. And not that that has been the most impactful thing that has happened, um, but it is concerning given how many uh, levers of power Republicans still hold in this state, including two, I think, particularly important ones, control over the redistricting process and the uh, policies and procedures governing voting that we've talked about before, that they are now making very explicit signals that they are ready uh, to target these and, and make it more difficult for people to vote. And that it seems like they don't really care how it looks. They don't feel very sensitive to public blowback on some of these moves. I mean, this week, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who's gotten a lot of praise from Democrats and who I think in a lot of instances has has played this election very down the middle and stuck to his duties, he basically got out in front of his own uh, one of his own election verification efforts, this signature audit in Cobb County, verifying absentee ballot signatures, and basically said that signatures weren't good enough and voter ID was needed for absentee ballots. And then a few days later, his audit comes out and he is talking out of the other side of his mouth saying that this audit proves that there was a lot of security around absentee ballots, that no fraud was detected. And then they're going to come back around in, in January or February during legislative session and argue that combating fraud is the reason to adopt all of these measures to make voting more difficult in this state. And so the I I'm very I'm nervous about the results of the Senate race because I do feel like some measure of accountability and some signal that all of this has crossed the line is is very necessary and I'm very unsure if we're going to get it, but absent some kind of signal there just isn't a lot of hope for me that Republicans are going to take their foot off the gas of using every institutional lever they have to stack the deck in their favor. And Democrats missed an opportunity in November, unfortunately, to gain a foothold of power um, that would have blocked a lot of these procedures. And so I have a lot of concern going into the next year that uh, this trend is is just going to continue. Before we go, though, I know y'all have exciting things that you're working on in in 2021 and in things in Georgia politics. Um, what, Nabila, what projects are you looking forward to in 2021? Uh, well, I've been working on, uh, I, I actually launched two super PACs uh, within the last month and a half. Um, one is called Save Our Senate PAC, uh, where we've been focusing on low propensity black and brown voters. Um, and we've already knocked on over 32,000 doors and made vote plans with 7,000 voters. So I'm super proud of the work we've done so far. Um, and we'll be continuing that work into the new year. And I'm actually knocking on doors on Saturday. Um, and I also uh, launched IPAC, which is Georgia's first Muslim PAC. And we've been focusing on uh, targeting the 65,000 registered Muslim voters in the state because you know, we are a voting block and we've been running a tremendous program. Um, it's, it's something that's never been done before. And I think we've been seeing positive results and it's something that I plan on continuing into the new year as well. Awesome. Megan, what about you? So as most of y'all know, I am the chair for the Young Democrats of Georgia LGBTQ Caucus. Um, and as part of that uh, chair womanship. Um, I am also a board member for the Young Democrats of Georgia. Um, and both organizations, both my organization and the greater organization are succession planning. Um, so that is basically trying to figure out um, who's going to run for offices next year, as well as who's going to be appointed members of boards and things like that. So if you are interested in those roles, um, if you're interested in a, in a role with my caucus, you can email me at lgbtq.caucus at georgiayds.org. And that's georgiayds.org. Is that how you spell it out? Um, and if you're interested in kind of a greater board role or a role with another caucus or a role just kind of within the organization in general, or you just want to join it, you can email uh, president at georgiayds.org. And uh, our president, Rachel Polly, can, you know, direct your email to the correct place. And we will have those uh, emails and, and information to reach out on on those sorts of things in 
show notes, the the work continues apace. And so if listeners, if this is the kind of thing you want to be involved in or, or support, um, definitely feel encouraged to get engaged. All right, so that is where we are going to leave it for today. Happy New Year to all of y'all. Uh, Luke, thank you, as always, for joining the podcast. Uh, happy to be here for the last time in 2020. You're listening to this. It's already 2021, you lucky, lucky fools. And Nabila, thank you, as always. Of course. See you guys next year. And Megan, thank you, thank you. It was great to have you back. Thanks. I'm so happy to be back. Happy New Year, everyone. All righty. Happy New Year, y'all. We'll talk to you in 2021. That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks as always to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all.